From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and uh, this episode is a two-for podcast. First up is AdAge's Anthony Krupe. We talked about uh, ESPN Plus hitting a million subscribers. Uh, we talked studio shows on Sportsnets. I know a lot of you folks love that topic. Uh, we talked some out-of-home viewing and uh, how the late national windows, particularly on Fox, but on CBS as well, are both actually bigger than Sunday Night Football, uh, besides most people thinking that uh, Sunday Night Football is the most watched program on television. It's actually just the most watched television program in primetime, and uh, both, the, uh, both the Fox and CBS late national 425 windows are actually bigger than Sunday Night Football. We talked about that, and we talked about Krupe's gambling picks for this week. And uh, after Krupe is a chat with Phil Orleans, who heads up MLB production for ESPN. Uh, we talked about MLB production and how the way the game has changed is impact production, uh, you know, from things like K-Zone to, uh, you know, there being three pitching changes in inning. We talked about all that stuff and uh, how he deals with feedback, particularly on social media. Other Some other things Phil has worked on, like the X Games, uh, plus Phil's picks for the World Series. I hope you enjoy it. First up, here's Ad Age's Anthony Krupe. Anthony Krupe, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me back again. I, I, I'm not sure how this is going to play because we've uh, we've had like what four conversations yeah, in the last couple of days. But... This is this is going to be the only one that they hear this week. Okay, so let's let's do the hostage newspaper thing. <laughs> uh, here's what's trending on Twitter right now. No, uh, oh no, you can say, oh, oh, did you watch that? Uh, football game last night uh, browns won yeah and and uh the quarterback looked pretty good yeah pe- pe- people people are delighted well i'll save the uh i'll save the, yeah. uh, the sports chat for the end of this but uh sure. let's talk espn plus insider gate espn oh, okay. announced one million subscribers for espn plus but is not being particularly transparent about how many of them uh, we're insider subscribers, and if you read various the various people that I read and follow, um, there's been some interesting back and forth uh, on that. But uh, I personally, I wasn't really all that blown away regardless, uh, but uh, by the number, like even if there were no insiders in there, I don't know that I would have been particularly impressed, but uh, Ben Thompson, uh, who writes the great Stratechery newsletter, uh, he said he thought that number was pretty good, and I, I did have others in the back channel hitting me with, uh, oh, come on, Robert, when YouTube launches premium service and only had a million or a million and a half, whatever it was after six months, the tech media didn't give them any guff over that. And uh, I don't know if the tech media is too soft or I'm too ornery, uh, but what all of this really has done is is piled onto an idea I had before any of this was announced. And that idea is it that for some reason, I don't know if it's Jimmy P or Bob Iger or Chris LaPlaca or some combination but it adds up uh, to being what looks like being much too thirsty for praise and adulation for Jimmy P for my tastes. And I'm not sure how to feel about it. And uh, you're not as crazy or ornery as I am on that stuff. So I'm just curious for your thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's funny because that was one of those things that got bumped back to me. Usually we'll get press releases and then uh, either Janine or one of my editors will say, Hey, check this out. And I read it. And it didn't do anything for me either way. I, I think one is because one million is just an arbitrary number anyways. Yeah. But then, you know, I was doing my due diligence as well. And 
ESPN wouldn't tell me the exact number. They very much off the record told me like what the ballpark was and what the ballpark was. uh, It was not a vast majority, although let, you know, we might be, uh, but it wasn't 5,000 either. Right. But it wasn't. No, no, no. Like I would, I would be comfortable saying it was closer to seven. Um, which uh, is se- se- seven hundred thousand new subscribers? Yeah. You mean brand new? Yeah, yeah. which yeah. which I think for for uh, uh, the first five months or whatever or whatever is fine. I mean, this is not going to be the easiest thing in the world to market, no matter how much free airtime you have. Um, but it still felt to me, like you said, it, it's I, do, I I get press released to death, right? That's part of the job, and. Um, I, I do agree with you. I, I do think part of it is they they want to get this good news out less let more to the investment community. Um, I think they want to make it look like this is Jimmy's first big get. Um, they're going to have to shift the narrative so that everything that's happened before is somehow folded into his reign now, and you know that happens with any succession. Yeah. Um, but to me. As much as it was like, okay, that's fine. It wasn't enough to even really follow. If I could have gotten the exact number, I would have written about it because then it would have been an interesting forum to talk about, you know, why these things kind of happen and what it means when you bundle, you know, insider in there. But because I couldn't get it nailed down, it just didn't seem worth the time. Um, it, we, we go through this with CBS all the time too, you know, CBS will play really coy and they, they're always talking about how their, uh, their uh, over the top product is, is just uh, blowing yeah, yeah, up yeah. and you can't yeah. get any numbers out of them. Yeah. That, that, um, uh, that is my, uh, my friend, Bill Gorman, who I did TV by the numbers with, uh, yes. as he always says that, 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 that is not there to be a great OTT service. It is there to be great leverage and carriage negotiations for affiliate fees, which I tend to agree with my friend Bill on that. Well, I, I agree with almost everything he says. And, uh, I, I find his, um, his acerbic nature on Twitter, particularly enthralling because he's much nicer than me in real life. He's the opposite. He's, he's, he, he is much nicer in real life than he is on Twitter. I'm probably the other way. Because it's funny because in back channels, people are always like, that guy's so mean. <laughs> like, I think it's a bit, but he he could be he could be the best TV business journalist if he wanted to take a step down in his station in life. Because uh, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's, he oh sees through God. the bullshit uh, in a way uh, a lot of us don't, uh, you know, unfortunately. Uh, I, I might have to edit this out. I'm sorry, Bill. If I edit this out, I'll send it to you separately. I'm not sure if <laughs> I can stomach this being in the actual podcast. I'm just kidding. Ooh. Follow uh, follow uh, Bill. He is at TV, excuse me, at TV Grim Reaper on Twitter. And sorry. he takes zero in the way of shit from anybody on yeah. Twitter. So yeah, it's a, lively. It, it's amazing. Like he does not suffer fools gladly, but uh, somehow, somehow we, we managed to have like a, a seven year long partnership. So I'm not sure how I was able to pull that off. Anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we've talked and I, and, and I apologize if, if you're sick of talking about this, cause this is something that's happened on tape now twice before. Uh, but uh, this time we have good audio and I'm going to try and uh, do a good setup for it uh, where I don't get Anthony, Anthony in any trouble. So we've been talking about the studio shows uh, and, and, you know, in the daytime day parts in general, 
Uh, you know, regardless of whether they're on ESPN or NBCSN or CBS Sports, and um, and then we have we have had some very specific discussions about what's going on at FS1, and I would like to have that chat again. Uh, but first, just start off with your general thoughts on sort of the you know the the daytime studio shows in general, regardless of uh, what network they're on and uh, how you think of those things. Uh, well, I'm starting to think that we might be overthinking the importance of these shows. Now, obviously, anything <laughs> uh, that's on television is is a big deal, right? But I think we've we've kind of circled around this point before. I just don't know if the audience is there. Um, besides the fact we're talking about the day part, where there just aren't a whole bunch of people at home who who would be around to consume it at least in the you know traditional linear TV sense. Um, I think, in a way, it, it becomes a kind of, uh, it's almost like a spectator sport, you know, watching ESPN and FS1 go after each other. But probably the rights and the primetime stuff and the live sports are way more important than the morning stuff. I, we, we, there is a lot of ink uh, spilled on that topic, and I think part of it is because the characters are all kind of larger than life right. or just, you know, really mouthy. And um, I think that there's a certain fascination with seeing how the, 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 the viewership has evolved over the years. But if you, if you look closely at it, I do think it's a microcosm of the rest of TV where we're seeing 9%, 10%. Year over year declines in prime for pretty much all the general entertainment stuff. So, when you're talking about a pretty small sample, and then, you know, obviously the traditional network uh, flagships, the Today Show and Good Morning America, uh, they have a much bigger audience, but I think they also have become part of the almost the fabric of the morning media experience. Where, and I also think I. You know, they they do they put up big numbers, but I I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's the best place to be if you're an advertiser because I, I, how, I how don't much know are they how, paying attention? Yeah, yeah, like how much are you just pulling a sweater over your head and like getting a <laughs> cup of coffee and before you walk out the door, um, and which none of this is to discount people who are home at the time because there's right. there's people who work on their shifts and there's people who work from home and there's people who don't work at all and there's older people although of course older people in the vernacular of television are they don't exist um, which I won't even go off on that I, I think I've well, argued they, about they, that well they so they they exist the advertisers love them they just don't want to pay for them yeah yeah oh absolutely uh, and you think the networks would push push back harder at it but i figure if cbs hasn't done it by now you know like the median age is uh, creeping up to most of their big shows are like 56 57 58 you know so it's, you're already past that terminal point 25 54 yeah. if they're not pushing for it nobody's going to and then not to get too far yeah, off track, had, by the way so there was like a, i don't know I, i'm going to say there was like a decade long run where all the, you know, all the research EVPs at the various networks, you know, whether it was CBS or NBC, um, they were pushing, hey, old people, old people spend money, too. Uh, you know, I, I do remember them, them pushing that narrative, but uh, it didn't take hold. And it does seem to me 
maybe over the last three to five years that they have kind of given up on that quest. Although the the next stage is, uh, and we're seeing a lot of this from uh, people like Lindy Acarino at NBC, she wants to get rid of demos altogether. Um, but as we know, it, it takes 15 years to make, you know, substantive change in, in, in network TV and in television advertising. So I, I wouldn't exactly hold my breath for that. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is based on uh, really poor research. You cannot find any solid data that backs up the assertion that people are brand loyal after the age of 26 or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And but you, you know don't what? Buy- so, so that's why I always went with the advertisers. You're just, just chasing scarcity, whatever it is. Right. Cause the scarcity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. always makes sense to me. Like, and, and the, the young eyeballs, the youthful eyeballs are relatively scarce. That's not to say that they are absolutely scarce, uh, but relative to, uh, to people like me, they are very, who I'm in, in my, in my fifties and I have, I'm past 55. So I'm out of any, uh, any demo that anybody cares about from time to time, you know, you see data that it's like, okay, maybe it correlates a little, but it's, you know, there's never been any clear cut compelling case, but the, uh, the, the clear cut compelling case of, I want to find the people who I can't usually reach. That always makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and that's really how, you know, the whole, uh, economy of, of television works. I mean, when we see year after year, the ratings go down and yet the unit prices just keep going up. It's because it's a very simple supply and demand market. And as long as the demand stays flat or up and the supply keeps going down, you literally have fewer ratings points to sell. The price is going to go up. Uh, does, you know, I, I see why it makes sense, but I, I, that's another, you, you wonder when, it, when are the, the advertisers going to, you know, put their feet down and say, this is it. I'm not going to pay $170,000, you know, for this bad sitcom that's, if, if we're lucky by the third time it's on the air, it's going to be doing an 07. Uh, so I think, the answer, I think the answer to that question is when the advertisers think that uh, the TV advertising doesn't work better than all the other ways that they can advertise. And no matter what anyone says, no matter what press releases fly to my inbox, and I still get a lot of them, it seems abundantly clear. And I'm not talking about total spend. I'm talking about unit cost. It seems mm-hmm. abundantly clear to me that advertisers have a preference for TV in terms of in terms of uh, a pricey advertising. And I'm going to say this out loud because I don't have break lines to cut. <laughs> uh, you can't convince me. I don't want to use the word collusion because that word's been ruined forever. <laughs> uh, but uh, you can't convince me that the the sellers and the buyers aren't in cahoots, and that usually the advertiser is the one that takes it in the wallet. Um, but that's just uh, my uh, my uh, a paranoid uh, Mediterranean take on that. Uh, All right, so let me let me steer you back to the uh, to the daytime sure. shows. So you you had gone through, you know that the, the you know that the morning shows aren't necessarily the best place to advertise, but they're certainly got a lot more scale uh, than than any of the stuff on the uh, on the sports nets. But uh, going going back to the sports nets, so like what you, we we started this off, I think because. Because I think you 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 actually did have some interest in some of the ESPN daytime shows, or do I have that wrong? Oh yeah, well we we were talking about how I had gone to uh, 
the groundbreaking ceremony for this studio where they're shooting uh, at South Street Seaport, where they're shooting uh, Get Up. And it was, uh, I don't know if the show had a title at that point, but they, and, uh, you know. Just, they, just to interject, the, uh, the first take and High Noon at least are also there now. So it's yeah, not just yeah. Get Up. Yeah, it's, I mean, and it's a great facility. It's really cool. Like, you can see it when you're watching on TV. They're right over the East River. They're out on a pier. And um, so one of the ideas they had, they, there was a lot of, um, you know, spitballing because, uh, uh, which I'll get back to that big picture thing in a minute. But, um, you know, one of the ideas was, wouldn't it be cool if we could get, uh, like, Tiger Woods to show up and hit a, you know, an eight iron from here to the other side to Vinegar Hill in Brooklyn, um, or, or Aaron judge hitting a ball, you know, cool things, visual things like thinking about, can an athlete drive a ball over the East river? Um, none of which was taking into consideration the damage that it would do to whoever got hit on the other side. But that's what insurance is for. Um, but, uh, so I was interested in it because I think anytime there's like, a anytime somebody wants to plant their flag back in New York and you're a New York based media type, you're always interested in that. Um, Bristol still seems, I don't, I don't know when you've been the last time you've been there, but as, as, as amazing as the campus is, it's still, you, you can feel the real estate deal that's inherent in the whole, you know, model. They bought all that real estate because it was in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut yep. and they got it for nothing. Yep. It still feels you're very, very, very far away from anything meaningful or important or fun, you know, kind of like right in the middle between Boston and New York. And um, yeah, that's snobby and whatever, but from a media So, so basically for, you know, so basically what Krupi is saying is Bristol is a rest stop location. Uh, on, it, on the it, highway between New York and Boston, and, uh, and, and that's how people it's actually, think of it. But it's actually really out of the way too, because you gotta you gotta bang like a hard left at like Hartford or something. And, yeah, you and gotta get off ninety five. Yeah, yeah. So it's not even on the way to anything. It, it really is in the middle of nowhere. Um, but uh, so the idea of them coming back to New York and establishing foothold in New York is, you know, that's cool. Um, and and the studio location was great and. They they brought out Greeny and they brought out Beetle, um, and they had a, it was all just advertisers. I was the only media there, and so I was thinking, oh, this could this could make for a really cool thing. Maybe I'll like try to get embedded in the first couple practice weeks when they were rehearsing, and then maybe embed in the first week of actual production. And I'm then the skipper uh, Michigas happened, and I just dropped it, and and I'm I'm kind of glad I did. Because this is one of those things that I would have been really pushy about. Like, uh, this should be a cover story, and then yeah. you know, that that's not a that is not a cover story right now for sure. Yeah. And and I don't know, you know, how much is how much of that is the hype cycle. Like, when you make that much noise about something, and it is a morning show, uh, and it is you know you're going to get a limited audience, especially like out of the gate, you're kind of setting yourself up for you know, a, a little blowback anyways. Right. Um, and then you have the environment where pretty much everybody's got it out for ESPN and uh, traditional media in general, but certainly ESPN right. has a target on their back. I think a lot of it is, you know, is it important to ESPN and to, to FS1 and, and to a certain extent, I guess, 
NBC Sportsnet to to put successful shows on during these day parts. I suppose, but I would almost argue it it would make more sense to build out a digital platform and then make these shows much more adaptable to the digital format. And that goes way beyond what we have now. I mean, everybody's big idea. Yeah, Yeah, I think everybody's big idea right now is to do like what Fallon was doing when people were still watching Fallon. Uh, Well, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Um, Where it's just, oh, look, we made this digestible digital snippet type thing. It's got to go beyond that. Uh, But considering we're, what, 25 years into mass internet consumption or since whatever the first browser started really blowing up or Netscape or whatever. And nobody seems to have figured out the ad model or yeah. <laughs> how the content works or firewalls or anything. Uh, maybe we just never do figure it out. Or maybe we're, we just have to wait for somebody who's gen Omega or whatever to come along and figure it out because, uh, our brains just aren't developed that way. But I, I, I just think that it it seems to make more sense that, like, I would expect Comcast to be in front of that. You know, I think I think Comcast is going to have to build a big digital platform of its own, you know, and, and, and really start thinking more about OTT. And I get it. The numbers aren't there right now. And, and that kind of leads back into the ESPN thing. Where you know bragging about one million when everybody's carrying a little tiny computer and all the world's knowledge in their pocket yep. is seems a little silly. Uh, and I'm all over the map here, but uh, I guess maybe that's because so is everybody's thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, so so I, you know what? So I, I I will say this much. So now I, I thought it was risky. And uh, more than risky, really goofy uh, to do what uh, ESPN did uh, other than other than for for trying to make uh, Mike Greenberg happy. Uh, all of that didn't make You know, from a business standpoint, none of that made sense. Uh, I bet against any new show uh, doing gangbusters anywhere on any network. And it's not because of the people or the programming, but because of the TV environment. It's like harder to launch a new show now than it was last year or two years ago or four years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, ESPN still has people who are, who are habituated uh, to watching ESPN during the daytime. And, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't fault that. I don't fault that. I mean, at some point I could see them going, ah, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to, we're just going to keep showing sports center or we'll, we'll record a, a new sports center every three hours and we'll, we'll just keep, keep looping that I, I could see it going that way at some point but for now i don't actually blame them uh for for you know for trying to to capture uh the the people who are still there now the, the interesting thing to me um we're going to transition over to fs1 um so i'm going to give fs1 a lot of credit sort of for the uh you know, the uh, particularly, uh, you know, the I, I guess 2015 or post 2016 launches of, uh, of Undisputed uh, and then maybe uh, to a lesser extent, uh, the, the Cowherd simulcast, uh, because what they did when they hired Skip Bayless was they actually did build their morning audience. So we can question whether Skip is worth the money. I think there is a reasonable debate to be had that it was not worth the money. Uh, but there's no there's no debate to be had. Um, bringing Skip over did actually, you know, get 
get FS1's morning viewership at least a little bit on the map uh, in ways that they hadn't been on the map before. And in fact, um, I got to kind of hand it to them, right? Because what they did, uh, I, I guess I have to hand it to Jamie in this case, uh, uh, Jamie Horowitz, who is no longer at FS1. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what the current status of the legal thing is, but uh, allegedly, I'll say allegedly for some kind of sexual harassment, uh, he was terminated. Uh, but he was the one who, who launched Undisputed. And, uh, and uh, to FS1's credit, you know, in a, an environment where TV was declining, they were actually growing that morning part of the lineup. And while I think that, uh, you know, that the, the decline may finally starting to be catching up to it, I mean, you know, Undisputed, Undisputed's numbers, at least relative to the rest of FS1's daytime lineup, are, are still pretty hardy. And, uh, you know, I, I actually have to, as much as it pains me, I have to give them credit because I don't think it's easy, uh, even if it was very expensive, I don't think it's easy to grow market share uh, in a declining uh, TV environment. But that said, you know, the rest of their environment, or, or excuse me, the rest of their lineup, or at least the rest of their lineup uh, past Cowherd has never really been, been that much. So, uh, and I won't, I will not drag you in uh, to anything but a generic conversation on uh, on their new gambling show, lock it in. But uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on on FS1 in general and their their daytime lineup? What they have accomplished so far? Uh, what they have done post Jamie? Um, it's interesting too because I, I, I hadn't thought about Jamie Horowitz in a little while, and you know, I used to talk to him quite a bit, and uh, he was before of uh, me too. I think. I think he, yes, he, he was, was almost like, yeah. I mean, so I, I have no idea what the status is of that. That has been, you know, that that has just kind of disappeared. Um, uh, you, you you just don't, you know, he he has no kind of public persona at this point, and I don't know if that's he's he's cast a lay low because of whatever the legal ramifications right. are. Usually, when there's a case. You you know you you keep your mouth shut, um, so I don't I don't know what's going on with him at all. Uh, but he, as the architect of that strategy, I I think he came in and he he did a lot of stuff that probably rubs some of the some of the old school sports fans the wrong way. I I don't understand how how Skip how his shtick uh, uh, endures because it's getting. Bayless over there seems to have worked. You know, it certainly is it, it is uh, something to build on. Um, it keeps them, it, you know, attention is, is being paid. Um, and I, I think Coward in a, in a probably a quieter way, but more, you know, workmanlike way, uh, I, I can watch him without, you know, reaching for the remote and mm, angrily shutting it off. You're a better man uh, but, than I. Well, you know, I also i I don't really consume a lot of this stuff because I don't need everybody's hot take. Like, I have my own stupid opinions, and I have a hard enough time keeping them in check. I don't need to hear like uh, like ex jocks and and withered old lizard people barking at each other. Hey, hey, hey go easy studio. on the withered withered old lizard people. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. <laughs> I, I just I don't find much value in the content. I'm, I'm sensitive because I live in the desert, Anthony. Come on. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. That's right. Well, then I would have said Gila monster. <laughs> uh, but but uh, 
I, I, uh, like I, I look at something like what SVP does and a big part of why his ratings are, are so good is because he gets great lead-ins. It's a lot of live sports and stuff, but he's also got arguably the best, he, he just does the best job of anybody in that, in that field. And I'm not saying that just because I think uh, Bad Beats is the, the most entertainment, entertaining uh, segment on TV. Um, but he's just he, that, that to me, if everything could be like of that level, yeah. you know, but, but that's like saying if, if, if every restaurant could be, you know, the, uh, I can't think of a good restaurant, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> not the Mama Olive Garden. You, yeah, you did yeah. not mean Olive Garden. That's all I know. No, um, but but the 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 new thing is, and I, I know this gets under your skin, is the the uh, uh, the new the new gambling show, Lock It In, and and so they're given a platform to to Clay Travis, who is a, a pretty unpleasant character, uh, another person who I think it, it's a persona, but it 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 yeah, reminds it's a, me, it's a it's a race baiting persona. Yeah, right. it's, and it's, it's not un- just for sure. It's, it's unquestionably um, a race baiting persona. That's you, Clay Travis. Um, That's on you. Even by the way, let me say this: like a, a lot of people, like since I've been going after Clay, like they're they're forwarding me uh, Ben Strauss's story from a year ago that he did in Politico, mm-hmm. and uh, even Clay Travis's wife is basically afraid that uh, Clay Travis will be remembered for being a race baiting clown. That's not exactly what she says. I think her uh, a more uh, a more uh, accurate version of her quote. You can Google Google Politico and Clay Travis, but a more accurate version of the quote was uh, she was afraid that um, um, that uh, that Clay would go down being remembered as the the, uh, uh, the the guy that went after black athletes, like to to you know to attract Trump supporters. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's hard to you know it's hard to justify. It, you look at what. The, the sort of things that he he talks about and the, and the things that he tweets out and the things that he says and, and the things that he he makes his little YouTube videos about and all millions of people watch him and and he's he's just yeah he's he definitely seems to be leveraging leveraging that because he knows that like in a weird way now you can talk like that. Well, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing you know. So I just want to go back to this. I, I have not looked at uh, like uh, Clay's. Uh, Periscope stats or YouTube stats, and I haven't, you know, it, it, I haven't seen uh, like uh, Comscore data in ages, so I can't, I can't know what uh, Outkick does. But one thing is pretty clear: whereas uh, Skip Bayless had like a built-in audience of followers that he could bring with him when he moved from ESPN, and so you, so whatever you think about Skip, like you can at least understand why why Fox wrapped their arms around him. There was something in it for them. Uh, that's just not true with Clay. Clay is not bringing them any viewers. And so that's the curious thing to me. It's like, okay, why, why wrap your arms around that? If there isn't actually anything in it for you? I I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if he had any prior association with Fox other than the radio stuff. I think, uh, Um, whatever the Fox sports live, the first version of that was, I think he was, a. He was involved or a panelist or somehow on the in the very early days of uh, FS1. Um, I I I'm not entirely sure if uh, he would have been part of the mix if uh, Jamie Horowitz were still running things, but that's just kind of a gut thing. I, I couldn't right. tell you for sure. Right. Um, 
but uh, it's it's funny because like you know the whole idea of ha- being able to say this guy is bad and this guy is also bad and and not like <laughs> lose track of who's sucks because there's but you know, uh, um, uh, Matt Roberts who runs the D1 ticker I don't know if you saw he chimed in yesterday that we didn't last week. We did not talk about, uh, I guess he meant the Fox numbers. I don't know if I've seen any ESPN numbers. Uh, that we yeah. did not talk about the uh, the OOA, the out-of-home viewing and how that had impacted uh, either the NFL or college. I can't even remember now. So for Matt Roberts, do you have any off-the-top-of-your-head uh, comments on the, uh, the out-of-home data that you've seen so far this fall? Well, we didn't, yeah, we didn't get into that because, as you said, the only numbers we've seen are from Fox. Um, and uh, with Fox, that's it, look in this environment, any gain. And I, I think it was a 9% gain. They, they went something from um, no, it was 10% in their big America's game of the week window. So biggest show on TV, most expensive thing to buy. If you're an advertiser, it's, it's this, this year it will probably be the 10th year in a row that this thing is the highest rated show or program, regularly scheduled TV thing on TV. Um, yeah, by the so, way, so, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Tony Kornheiser podcast. And yeah. uh, I got to say, I give NBC credit because their press releases about uh, Sunday Night Football being the number one program in primetime, that does make everyone think that that's the most watched football window of the week. And it is not. So, Anthony, uh, give give the spiel that, that it's not Sunday night football and it is the 425 game on Fox that is the most watched program of, of the week every year, year in, year out for the last X years. Yeah, I think, I think it gets lost in the, in the mix because everybody focuses on prime time, you know, because prime time is the, it, we, you know, we're, we've been trained to think that prime time is the be all and end all. And you'd logically think, any other day of the week, sure. It's, it's going to be where the, I'm not going to say hut levels because when I just did, but you know, when the viewership is as high as it's going to be, you've got households using television there. for people. Who Correct. It's such an old man uh, term too, but it's I'm still lingua franca in the, you know, in the, in the, in the industry. So, um, but uh, no, it's, it's not. And as much as Sunday night football is, is by far the, the most watched, highest rated uh, in terms of household ratings. For a couple of years, The Walking Dead was beating it in 1849, um, but that's, that's over with, and, yep. and th- that shows on a, a very steep decline, so that's yep. not going to happen again. Um, and I very much doubt it'll ever happen with any other scripted shows. We're just not going to see that kind of uh, breakout. But, um, so they do very well, and if you just look at primetime, uh, the last couple of years it's been uh, Sunday Night Football, and then the Thursday night package, uh, even if you strip out the cable numbers, you strip yep. out the NFL network simulcasts, and then you get something like Big Bang or uh, This Is Us. But it's, it's football, it's the NFL, and it's by a mile. But the Fox window is, is enormous. Um, it, it, it pretty much dwarfs uh, the, the, the Sunday night football thing. And, you know, when anytime I write about this, I usually get – someone from NBC saying, well, that's not really fair because we have to go up against all the primetime shows, right. which 
part of me goes, eh, because there's, you know, what else is on Sunday night? It's all mostly crap um, and, and not, you know, not big ratings crap either. You know, it's, uh, it's just uh, stuff like ABC who, who seems to have given up on programming anything at all on Sunday because they're lucky to get like an 04. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, Fox, I guess, has the Simpsons and Family Guy. Yeah, I mean, is that is which, that number one in 18 to 49 on Sundays outside of football at this point, that stuff? Pretty much, yeah. Although it, it is a very – it looks like a sine wave. <laughs> when, Fox, when Fox has the big national window and they have American oh, yeah, Game yeah. Week, it's the Simpsons does like a two five. And then when they don't, it does like a one five. And then when football season's over completely, you're down to one Oh, Oh nine. Um, so that, that is programming. That's very dependent on, on the lead in. And if anybody ever tells you that lead ins don't matter, you just look at that. Um, uh, but, uh, in like, so last year, Fox's, national window and if you include thanksgiving in there it's actually there wasn't much of a difference because thanksgiving um you always get a big viewership number but the household number is smaller than usual because right. everybody's at somebody else's house um you know all the coats are on the bed um but so looking at it the the eight game package 23 million viewers and a, a 13 household rating um so that was down like 8% from the year before. But still, that's, that's huge scale. CBS's window, uh, which is moving more toward a, a, a blend of NFC um, and AFC. And one of the reasons Fox gets such big numbers is, um, and I think they do a, a really great job with uh, the presentation and stuff, uh, but I think CBS is, is moving into next-level territory again with Romo. Um, I'm a, an unapologetic Romo fanboy. Same, uh, same. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's the best thing that's happened to, to, to broadcast uh, sports in a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, CBS was number two. They did $21.2 million in 11-8. And then um, Sunday Night Football was uh, 18.2 in a 10-3. Right. So it's that that 420 window bigger than than primetime. And again, they got to go up against Game of Thrones sometimes or or back when The Walking Dead was a big thing. Mad Men. There is other stuff. Mad yeah, although Mad, Mad Men the, the joke about Mad Men <laughs> I, is that I just threw that in I threw that yeah. in to piss off Bill Gorman. Sorry Bill. Well, the the only people who ever watched Mad Men were people in the industry. Um as 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 beautifully shot as that show was. Uh a, a very uh, fun to watch soap opera uh, period piece. N- it never got more than like two million people watching it. Uh, it was just maybe like it's of- like his last season. It might have broken through that, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it yeah. was it was no Walking Dead and it was no Breaking Bad. That's for sure. Yeah, and Breaking Bad's last season. Every week, the last half of the season went up, 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 yeah. up. And I think a lot of the besides the fact that it was just phenomenal television. Um, it got a really nice Netflix bump because people started like binging because it, it showed up on Netflix before the start of the last season and people started binging on it and they're like, holy cow, this, I, I can't believe I missed this show. This is so great. And then you just had awesome tune in for the, for the end. So all that is a long way of saying, um, yeah, that, that window is monstrous. And you're, if you're an advertiser and especially like if you're, you're looking at one of those Cowboys games and, and maybe the rates go down a little bit. If the Cowboys continue to be um, uninspiring 
let's say, uh, you're looking probably at $850,000 $850, for a, a 30-second spot. I think, like, the Vikings-Eagles game, that's going to be a that's going to be really bright. Pa- Packers Rams. I mean, yeah. that's if 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 Rodgers is healthy for that, it's October twenty eighth, so he should be. Vikings Patriots, Eagles Cowboys. Yeah, these are they, they have great games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this is a really expensive thing, and um, uh, there's a reason why they sell out faster than anybody. The, the advertisers, if you have the coin to spend, you want to be in that window because you. You know, does does necessarily the uh, ad impressions mean anything about sales? I've never been able to figure out why anyone thinks it's true. Uh, <laughs> I think the only thing I've ever bought because I saw a TV commercial was a movie ticket. I'm going to get this podcast out uh, by uh, b- before Sunday, so people will still have a chance to fade the creepy picks if they want to. That would have worked very well last week, I think, uh, to fade the creepy picks. So, what what are your what are your gambling picks this week? College or pro? Um, well, my my uh, I I did so miserably last week, and this in, this includes all the games that I picked that I didn't tell you about. I, I got I got crushed, and and it's funny because usually the beginning of the season for me it always seems like it's easier to do the picks because the spreads are always a little too high, they're a little too out of whack, a little more value. But yeah, um, because you know it's it's hard to get a sense of who's worth a damn. Um, but uh, the only thing that feels like a, a lock, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure this will blow up in my face, uh, but I got in on that over-under for the Steelers-Tampa uh, game. It was 50, and the lines moved up to 54. And it'll be double that. <laughs> Roethlisberger, all they have now is their offense. I, I, I can't believe... I, in like 40 years of watching the Steelers, I've never seen like a crummier defense. They've done nothing to to, to build it up. It's just you know like they they haven't even really replaced Shazier. Like it's almost like they think he's going to put his helmet on and go back in. God forbid, don't do that. Um, uh, and Tampa's got the worst offense I think in football. So you've got Fitzy McHarvard. Uh, <laughs> Who looks for? He looks like Connor. Uh, what's his name now? McGregor. Uh, Connor McGregor. Uh, all he does, he's got. It's like Air Coriel all over again. So I think it's just going to be a complete air war. I think you've got two of the biggest arms and two of the best offenses, and no defense whatsoever. So I, I can't see how that's not going to be. And of course, it will turn around. It'll be like twenty-six to twenty-one. <laughs> You'll just miss uh, by that much. Um, so but that, are that's you are, what, are you comfortable uh, saying on the record how much you bet on that? On that particular thing? Yeah, on the over for uh, for Steelers Bucks. Uh, that was five. Five hundred. Yeah. Woo! Well, yeah, I also have that. All right, so I'll tell I'll, t- I'll tell you what. So I'm uh, I'm not willing to go five hundred the other way. But I'll definitely I'll take the under for uh, for twenty bucks. So I will. That that's just a bet with you. So I'm gonna go yeah. the other way, just with you. So you got a little. You either gonna lose twenty dollars more, or you you got a twenty dollar hedge. Uh, I, I'm also. Uh, I I did. I was looking at college stuff because there's uh, there's some really ridiculous. There's always ridiculous lines the first couple of weeks. Um, 
that Notre Dame Wake Forest game really jumps out at me. Like Notre Dame's only a seven point favorite. They're playing in Wake, but it's Wake Forest. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I could be the by the time I talk to you again, I'll probably be wearing one of those cartoon barrels with the you know, like the suspenders on it. Um because usually at this time I've I've started to make a little bank, and then I'm playing with house money, and I'm 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 looking at uh, I'm looking at a bit of a. a uh, uh, so you're 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 behind the eight ball is what you're telling me. Oh no, not not that bad yet because I haven't like you know haven't lost my mind or anything. I'm not, well, I'm not. So so this is the interesting thing to me. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this over time. I'm uh, but. Like rate yourself. Like, how would you rate yourself? Like, what percentage of the time do you think you act your bets actually pay off? Uh, I think like fifty-eight to sixty. Okay. So okay. Well, so so if if that's the case, you're in the money, Anthony. A pleasure as always. Thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me again, Robert. Uh, it's great talking to you and. Um, I look forward to catching up uh, as as we get deeper into the season. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll have some baseball to talk about, too. That sounds good. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks again to Anthony Krupe for joining the podcast. Now, the, my chat with uh, Phil Orleans, who uh, heads up uh, MLB production for ESPN. Joining me for this episode is ESPN's Phil Orleans. Phil currently oversees all of ESPN's Major League Baseball productions, including Sunday Night Baseball. Phil, welcome to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with that Sports TV Radio. All right. Sounds, thank you, Robert. That sounds uh, sounds like you guys are growing pretty fast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that is that is a funny joke. But uh, so you've worked on a lot of stuff at ESPN, uh, including even before your current stint. You did a, a, a separate ten year stint on Sunday Night Baseball from like 1993 to 2003. But uh, you have college football, college basketball, tennis, the X Games, and uh, I know people always say they love all their children equally because it's the right thing to say. But do you get to play favorites as a producer? Is baseball your favorite? Well, I, I came to ESPN with a primary love for baseball and really a dream to produce baseball uh, at the highest possible level, which I will say I, I, I dreamed would be a World Series. Uh, but I've been very fortunate uh, to not have a World Series, but at least to have the highest the highest level of of ESPN, which is certainly high enough and included in, in the days I was producing many, many playoff games and many, the launch of the first televised home run derbies and the Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken record breaking game and first game in Cuba and all sorts of good things like that. So, um, that was really what I came to do, what I love to do, what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about. I, I will say over time, like your, your love of, of sports, evolves into I, at least in my case something a little more broad and deeper of, of right. sort of a love of content and the business and, and creativity and all those kind of things so uh, when I did step away from baseball for 10 years or 11 years and managed X games for that time period um, I, I will say I loved the um, kind of independence we had to craft the event 
and the content and the business and the technology, sort of the limitless uh, ability we had to kind of work on all areas of that, um, which is just pretty unique relative to the ESPN business, where for uh, the most part we lease rights, you know, from from a, from right, a league. Right, so right. that was different. And so, I so that enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. So I, I didn't actually have a, a plan to talk much about the, the X games with you, but the, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that, uh, at least in a certain window, it was very popular. And, um, and really what you, I, from what I hear you saying, is like for, for ESPN, that wasn't the typical property. It was more like, uh, doing a startup and doing everything from the beginning and figuring it all out. What, what was that experience like versus, you know, versus working on the leagues or, uh, you know, other properties like tennis? Sure. I mean, it, it, look, it, it is completely different in the sense that, you know, everybody who's involved in creating the event, creating the rules for the event, um, creating the scoring for the event, create how we sell it, how we brand it, right. um, how we market it, you know, is all, is all led by, by someone in the ESPN family. So, I mean, to me, it opened my, like I, I came here with someone who was a passionate baseball fan, kind of sports fan, but especially a baseball fan and just really wanted to, wanted to come up with the, you know, the best way to, 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 show that to people and it, it just it just forced me in a great way to really understand um you know how this whole how this whole business works in 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 every area from our you know from our website to our sales to our marketing to 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 data to everything you know so that and again and trying to try to kind of understand how to look we even you know we didn't continue it after more than one year but like to go through the process of, of trying to expand the event globally and you know, visiting Olympic venues to try to try to reconstruct them or reconstruct an action sports event on a you know a Munich or Barcelona Olympic venue and think about where the events would take place and what they would look like and how to use the the backdrop that Greg Luganis had drive had 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 dived from to make that into a a skateboard or BMX backdrop. You know, those those kind of things were were far beyond um, in a certain sense far beyond what you can attack with uh with baseball where you know you can focus on making the coverage better but but that's you're kind of working in that in that uh somewhat limited scope yeah there. i mean so, so it sounds anyway. like as cre- creativity wise it sounds you know the x games experience sounds like that must have just been uh a fantastic ride at least for at least for several years yeah no it was it was it was very refreshing and uh and honestly look at it like everybody you know wherever you go whatever you do you bring back you bring back things you learn and, and, uh, and they, they influence you and how you think about things and open your idea eyes to some, some new, new things and things of that nature. So, uh, anyway, I was, uh, I just literally ran to the phone here out of a, out of an esports meeting. So it's, it, it's funny, like talking to those guys brings back a lot of the, uh, a lot more of the X games. Uh, okay. So, well now, now, so. now that I know that you're into the esports, I'm going to, I'll, uh, I'll set it up separately, but we will do a separate podcast just well. on esports just to get back to baseball so you're you're in a different role now i mean you oversee the whole the whole ball of wax now uh, but but you know given given the gap between the 93 to 2003 experience and now has like your favorite part of uh doing a baseball telecast changed it all over time or 
or, or, or what's that look like? Uh, what is your favorite part? And if it has changed, how, how has it changed? Um, I think, I think when I first entered it, um, I was a little more, one, I was more, I was, I was more concerned with, with anything that was perceived as negative. Um, and now I've, I think grown to look at it that, uh, any, any, uh, touch points you hit that evoke emotional reaction connection to what you're doing is, is probably good. And, um, you know, significant change is always going to, uh, make people a little bit uncomfortable just by its nature. Sure. So I, I've, I've gotten a lot more, I think a lot more comfortable with, um, you know, mixed responses, including some, some negative, maybe even a majority of times of, of negative responses. <laughs> well, you're talking, change. you talk about Twitter then. Yeah. I'm sure that, that, that the uh, I think looks it's like part of it. There's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no question. There's no question about it. Um, but I guess I try to spin that positively that, you know, maybe the response was so much more direct that in the past that you took it all very, very seriously. And somewhere in the case of dealing with Twitter, you know, you realize that everybody's got a voice and, and most people are, are less interested in using it for support than they are for, <laughs> for criticism. That's it. So, yeah, it's just so the nature kind of the beast. To, yep. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story on that. Um, you know, I say a lot of respect for with this with a lot of respect for our company and John Wildhack was managing our all of programming. And now, now, uh, right. now the athletic director at uh, Syracuse. At Syracuse, correct. So, so one of the things when I came back, this is a kind of, kind of funny story. So when I was leaving in 2003, this shocked people to hear this. The last month or two I did Sunday Night Baseball, I was really, even then, thinking about how to use K-Zone live, even in 2003, because we had launched it in 2001 and used it for replays across 2001, right. 2002, and 2003. Now, I was in a weird position because I was sitting in the truck doing all those Sunday night games, which was at that time the only place we had it. And uh, I was like the only person who had it quasi-live. Well, me and a few other people in the truck. So, like, again, plenty of people disagreed with me when we did this, and plenty of people still do. But, like, I sat there for three years in the truck producing the games, and on literally a three-second delay, the, the K-Zone feed of the center field shot would, would come in. And again, whether you, whether you people want to say they like it or don't like it, what I did become very aware of was how addictive it was. Yep. And again, I was like a one-person focus group yep. because people at home, you know, didn't have didn't have that. But I realized pretty quickly by like the second year we had, or even later in the first year we had, I was like, man, every I watched I watched the air, you know, the program shot of, of live of how we're covering it and the center field shot, and like I. Before long, I realized every single time I started sliding my eyes over to the to the tape machine where the where the K zone feed came in two sec, two and a half seconds later, and like it wasn't even just close pitches. It was like, boy, I thought that pitch was right down the middle. Yeah, it was right down the middle. Or no, actually, it was a little further away, and I could just you couldn't. So anyway, that that so even by 2003, I was thinking about that. But anyway, my point being, when I came back in 2015, we watched it live. Like this is where I credit John because I, I went to John beforehand, and I'm like, look. We're gonna get people are gonna go nuts about this. Like I just just got to realize, and he was great. He was like, "Yeah, I get it, no problem, don't worry about it." And so we finished the first game, 
and someone walks up to me and they bring me like this gigantic XL thing. It's like 13 pages long, <laughs> of, like little type. And it's like, hey, I, 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 I curated all the uh, all the uh, Twitter uh, feedback for you all in one uh, document. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. And I'm like, you know what? There's a garbage can over there. <laughs> you throw it in there. So. Well, I mean, so, so th- th- I mean, th- that is a good story because, I, you know, I don't think, and I don't, I have to be honest, like, I don't pay that much attention to uh, production-related carping uh, baseball mm-hmm. games just because I'm, I'm so used to it. It's just kind of easy, easy to filter out. But still, I will notice every week, people, at least once a week, I'll see someone you know, complain about K zone or there's someone who's done a blog post that K zone is the worst thing in the world. Um, and, and this is still that it's still such a hot, hot button when I think, you know, there's plenty of research at this point that says, uh, you weren't just a focus group of one. Uh, people are actually trading whatever their minds are saying. They are definitely trading their eyes to look at the K zone and their eyes like yeah. K zone fine, whatever their brains think. Yeah. By the way, I haven't heard, a, I haven't really heard anything negative from like anybody under the age of 20, just for the record. Oh, that, you, uh, <laughs> I, I, so I've seen so, some, I've seen some purists and I mean, I get like, if I get no, from no, the I, baseball, yeah, I, get, I get it that, but yeah, but I'm just saying like, when I, when I talk to kids who play, who play video games or things like that, and I ask them like what they think about it. I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying I'm getting it on Twitter, but just <laughs> my little personal sampling around like, Hey, what, what do you think of that box over home plate? They usually look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, that's why wouldn't a, it be there? Yeah, that's, that's got to be there. How, how else am I going to know where right. the, where the ball was? Exactly. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm a, I, I'm a fan and, uh, uh, I, I root for it on all baseball telecasts. That's so well, I just, if you, I if you hate, look, if you I, hate it, blame me. It can be, it can, you can, you can find it irritating and some people do and, but all that, but like, you, I, I think even this is, even the people who say that when they, when their pitcher that when they, when their pitcher threw a pitch, they thought was on the corner for strike three and it got called a ball. They're still looking, they're still curious what it said. So yep. like, you, you know, I guess it's my job to sort of separate the emotional reaction from the, from the, the actual interest uh, that people are looking at. And I, you know, that's, I don't know that the average person thinks that way, but again, like I said, I just, even for the people who say they don't, even for the people who don't like it or say they don't like it, I still think they, I still think they, they refer to it. Oh uh, yeah. So if you put, if when you their put, team gets, when their team gets hurt by it, by it. I think they refer to it all the time. Like, I mean, I think if you ran biometric tests of people, right. you know, they would, they, they, their eyes would be telling you that's the first thing that they look at no matter what. And especially, uh, you know, the other thing too, like, like, you see it in the reactions of the pitchers and the hitters. Like it's, it's always, it's like it's always the, the question calls are always like yeah. real, really right, right there for you. It's it's just so fascinating how often you see a guy turn, a hitter turn and complain, and it's like, you know, wow, I just saw that pitch was three inches outside or something like that. So yeah, it really uh, actually uh, connects pretty well to the emotion of the of the people in the middle of the action. Yeah, the the, the players will complain like over a you know over a half inch deviation and so uh you know i i i i think it adds fuel okay well we'll we'll get off a k zone but the people will stay on the the topic of internet feedback people on the internet are overly critical of practically everything as you note they're very you know they're much more prone to complain than to say hey that was great uh nets from score bugs to k zones to the announcers themselves uh how do you go about sort of taking all that feedback in sorting the wheat from the chaff and uh, synthesizing it into anything useful. Well, 
one, I, I, I just, I just don't, I just, <laughs> I just don't get stuck in, in the weeds of it. Now, that's, that's a good, anybody quality. who, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I mean, in the early years of Twitter, I did, um, but it just felt smaller and more directly connected. And, and now I just, I just, I just feel like it's a mind shaft that if I get into it, it's, it's, it's not going to get out. And I, I really, I really need to actually focus on the things we're, we're doing during the game. Um, rather than rather than what everybody's saying about it throughout um now when somebody look we do a lot we do focus group information um i certainly get plenty of people plenty of people certainly find me and reach out directly and if if it's anything remotely constructive i'll always take it seriously and i'll always respond if it's purely emotional angst or something i i I may not because i just feel like that's heading in a in an unhealthy direction at that case. But, um, but if it's, if it's serious, I'll always, I'll always respond. And, and honestly, like, I just feel like anybody who's any feedback I get from people who are, who are actually responding with more than just their own, you know, personal emotion or, or bias or whatever, I, I, I will, I will take very seriously. And like I said, we do, I mean, even early on, we, we found, you know, to go back to K zone briefly, we found the, the, the focus group numbers were not reflecting the Twitter um, right. response at all. So we, that we, we took pretty good comfort in that right from the outset. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, what, one thing you, 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 you launched with the brand new booth this year. And uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking about particularly like maybe how like the first month or so of that went. And I, I was just thinking about like, if I was in your shoes, it would have been a, a very difficult challenge for me to separate pure announcer feedback that was actually relevant from what people's pre-existing opinions of the announcers were. Uh, like, you know, right. I, I get, I get completely that a lot of people don't like a rod. And I also get that though, I, I don't love it. I get that, you know, there are people who don't want women in the booth. Uh, and so they're going to complain no matter what. Um, but, but beyond that, I mean, I think that, you know, there, you know, because that stuff exists, it, it makes it, it makes it a more difficult challenge to sort of go, okay, well, what is, and what isn't going on? And I, I, I'm just wondering, like, how, how do you, well, uh, I, you, you know, what makes it a more difficult challenge is that a lot of the difficulty of the challenge depends on how the people in the middle of it respond and handle it. Um, I'm actually really fortunate, you know, Jess quickly, learned to turn tune this out and um you know after an early sort of bout with twitter in our first days has kind of found found her a, a piece of uh, found herself at peace with ignoring you Good know for her. a lot of stuff and uh and alex i will say this man i don't know anybody <laughs> who is better able to compartmentalize and tune out the negative than he is uh, whether you want to call that an attribute or a weakness i i guess leave that up up to people but but he has it, it works good if you're a hitter I think. ability well i i do i do think it's it's funny like athletes great athletes you know they don't they don't probably don't get stuck in too much deep thought about negatives and especially in a sport like baseball where yep. as we all know you know there's more negatives as a as a hitter you know, even for a great hitter, there's going to be more more strikeouts and more more bouts made than 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 hits and home runs. Um, so I think it is an attribute, absolutely, and I'm sure that that connects 
for him as as well. But he 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 uh, he just he just shuts it out and focuses on on himself. And I, I guess he's been through. I mean, it's not like I've ever had some deep conversation with him about this, but I think he's been just been through so much, been through so much, you know, uh, and so much um, negative response from other, you know, th- throughout the the history of some of the things he's he's been through, some of them self inflicted, and you know how he was treated by other teams and things like that, other fan bases. You know, he he just he just tunes it out, and and he's he's focused on you know reaching people. And uh, certainly the, the, the visibility and, and growth of his brand. And like, that's easy for me to work with because that's frankly what we want. So I would say the other thing about it is like, I, like I, my fear is not negative response. My fear is indifference. Right. And um, I'll, I'll take, you know, if 40% of our audience likes Alex and 40% hates him and 20% don't care, you know, I'll call that a, a big, big win. But my right. fear is that you got, you know, 10% that like somebody care. and 10% that don't and 80% don't care. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, would I, would it be great if everybody just <laughs> thought he was awesome and the greatest ever? Uh, yeah, it would. But like, I mean, the history of this, look, you know, look, I'm not here to throw stones at any other. Now, like, I mean, Joe Buck gets crucified yep. as well. And like, yep. the guy is freaking talented. Yeah. You know? I mean, yep. Yeah. He gets, he gets, he gets unnecessarily forgot, crucified. Right? So, I agree. Yep. I, so, I, I mean, you know, he's doing his, he's doing his job. Well, people care about him. They care about the games he broadcasts and, you know, they, they care about what he sounds like and what he says. Well, that means he's touched, he's connected in some, in some way. And, and frankly, you know, I think it's probably more, more good than bad for the, for the product there. So, you know, Tim Kirkton is probably, you know, loved <laughs> by most. That's great. You know, yeah. but yeah. that's, that's his style. That's his thing. Yeah. And Alex is, is, always he's been polarizing yep you know if he just about his whole career maybe yep. in the very early days of his career he's sort of beloved by everybody but certainly once once he got through the free agency period he became a, a polarizing um figure and and jess is polarizing you know because of the, the way people respond you know to some degree to her gender um yep. and you know that's a tough thing to say but that that i think there is there is a reality to that so but they work hard and they're, they're always trying to get better and they're trying, you know, they're trying to be the best they can and, and, and make the best points and learn how to communicate the best way they possibly can. So, you know, I just focus on that stuff and, and again, just be happy that people care about them, frankly, whether right. it's good or bad. All right. Well, I, I'm a, I'm going to get you out of here with hopefully a couple things that, uh, that are of interest to you. I don't think there's any arguing, uh, that worrying over stuff like pitching matchups, defensive positioning, launch speed, and launch angles are actually very relevant to winning games. Like, I get why managers and teams and GMs focus on that stuff. But I'm wondering, is there a reasonable argument to be had that all of those paths uh, to winning more games made for a less enjoyable product to watch, both at the venues and on TV? And I'm wondering where you come down on all that. All right, well... I don't think baseball, you know, before this extra layer of sabermetrics and stack cast, like before that came in super aggressively in, let's say, the last five to ten years, I mean, I don't think the sport was succeeding or struggling because anybody was sitting there going, boy, if I just, you know, if I just knew exactly what the, what, 
the catcher's throw velocity was, <laughs> I, I would love the sport, you know, <laughs> right. or I would hate it for that matter. Right. The, the, the sport, the sport was not, it was not shy on data. Right. Before StatCast came right. along as, as a, as a storytelling tool, as a production, somebody who manages how we, how we deliver this content, I believe we could misuse data or use it successfully before StatCast. And now that we have it, we have a little extra layer of opportunity to either use it successfully or misuse it. At the end of the day, it comes down to how we curate it and how we tell stories from it and how we choose to balance the content that we deliver. So just because there's a billion stats rather than half a billion to choose from, you know, doesn't mean doesn't mean that it's going to it's going to make the telecast gets get get encumbered by them. It's that's our choice as to which yeah, stories I, we choose I, Phil, to tell. Phil, I get I get that. I guess I guess the the component to it though that I'm that I'm thinking about is right. Uh, there are more outs now. And there are more pitching changes now, right. and uh, there is less ball in play action now. Um, right, so right. you've got a more difficult task. Like, did, 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 does that add up to being less fun to watch somehow? I think that I think as this increase in data affects the game, like that's a that's a different story to me than than how it affects the telecast. Of course, the telecast has to you know must reflect the game. So to your point. Uh, more pitching, more pitching changes, does make a considerable effect on the pace, the length of the game, and more importantly, the pace of the game. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can't get away from the sense that games often start at a fairly reasonable pace, and when the pitching changes begin, you know, frankly, particularly in September with expanded rosters. Yeah, like in the fifth like, inning. Right. I mean, I mean, there is a little bit of that sense, like games moving along. It's, it's good. You got two guys out there pitching. It's, it's, it's kind of crisp and, you know, first pitching change happens and depending on how it goes. Now there are managers out there who, who will throw a guy for two innings and try to give him a fresh inning. And, and that's, that, that is fine. But yeah, when you see four, when you see four pitchers in a half inning that's what I'm and each about. one, you know, gets close to three minutes from the time, the pitching change is waved in to the time he actually throws his next pitch. You know, that's, that's, that, that can be a little tough and it inevitably is the latter part of the game and fans are getting antsy in the crowd and the whole thing. So I'm certainly watching on TV as well. So I, I mean, I, I think it's real. I mean, I do think what you're saying again, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a TV production issue. I, I by but, the way, I don't. I definitely. Know. I don't think it is a. I don't think it is a TV production issue. I. I, I just wonder though. Right. You're. 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 You're producing and televising the game, and the game itself has changed. Uh, you know, I, I think it, 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 you know, even without TV, if I just had been going to the ballpark for the last 20 years, there would be a demonstrable difference today versus 20 years ago, uh, of that no experience. Question. Uh, and, and no you, question. but, but you know, you, you have to package all that up together. So I, I guess my question for you is, is how does that impact you? And, and, uh, d does that have you, you know, doing extra work and, and, uh, and, and trying to, you know, trying to, trying to keep people engaged or, or how does any of that work? Well, we, we look. Baseball is a sport that has ebbs and flows, and it's a, it's you know, in some ways, it's a great sport to produce because 
you know, unlike say basketball or soccer, where when the ball's in play, it's pretty much in play. And that's where you, you kind of go. Baseball is a sport that has endless decisions to be made because you have yep. time between pitches, time between batters, and then the changes and, and, and so forth. So um, it does, you know, it does probably mean that we do some more in a telecast than we, we might have done with one pitcher who went eight innings and a closer who came in for the ninth or a guy who threw a complete game. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, fundamentally we're going to try to, we're going to try to tell hopefully good stories and, and use good information in the time windows we have. And sure there's a few more time windows because of, because of this, but I think the things that really, you know, I think it's really a, a, an issue of, you know, and I know the commission is not a surprise to the commissioner. It's, it's an issue of, of pace of action, yep. pace of play. And, you know, I don't, it's funny. I don't, this is my own personal perspective. Like I, I don't lose too much sleep over the, over how managers choose to use their data to, to, to try to win the game and play the game. It just frustrates me that it takes three minutes each time a pitching change happens. Like I just, uh, to me, there's like things in every other sport that offer some degree of solutions to these things. Other sports get people on and off the field. Yeah, so, a so, lot quicker so would you be? We, and I just mean generally. I, I'm not trying to pin you down to any specific changes, but like, would would you know, just from a, the point of view of producing the telecast, would something like, uh, you know, there there can only be like one pitching change in inning or something like that? Would would that would that be a uh, forgetting about all of the, the people who that would make irate? Uh, just from a production point of view, would would that make things easier? Uh, you know, I guess I have. I guess I I hesitate to things that fundamentally change the way the, the game is managed and so forth so like to me i would this is my own personal opinion I'd, I'd i'd like to see them i'd like to see them get the new pitcher in the game without without the catcher walk into the mound the the manager walk into the mound the mound that not being one of the six stoppages okay. that are all right so kind of like kind of like the new intentional walk just wave them on down and skip all the uh, uh yeah kind of like kind of like the way every other sport gets people in and out of the game yeah, you know, yeah, I realize they need I, I a few like pitches that. to warm up, but uh, I, I don't exactly understand, um, you know, why every other sport can manage to uh, can make every other sport can manage to make a change without uh, without a conference uh, in the middle of the playing service. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah, I, I agree. So I don't, I, you know, for me, I'm a long time. I'm a I'm like you. I'm a long, long, long time baseball fan, and and I, you know, I still I still love it. And for me, it's not really, you know, four hours versus two and a half hours. But but the action on the field and the I mean the, so the length of the game doesn't bother me but like you know I'm a, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan so you know the years where you know Bochy was making six pitching changes in one half an inning you know that's pretty much every year in the, late in the game and and uh, yeah that just gets really tiresome to watch for me as a as a viewer uh, whether I'm at the game well, or watching I mean, on nothing, TV you know nothing's you know nothing's really happening during, <laughs> during those changes like if you get three changes in an inning in a half inning which does happen two or three changes, you know, you've taken something that, a, let's say, let's say, let's say even a, even at the current pace that baseball is played, 18 and a half innings are played in yep. three hours. And the, the pace is probably faster than that in the early innings. So let's say, you know, let's say you play a normal inning in about 16 or 17 minutes. So a half inning, maybe in eight minutes, if you're going to add, you know, six to nine minutes to that eight minutes of, of merely, yeah, you're doubling the game. Uh, break time, 
you know, while, while conferences happen and people come in and warm up, I mean, that's again, like, like, like to me, I mean, I know we talk a lot about like, Oh, there's more strikeouts, there's less hits, there's less balls in play, but like, there's a difference there, but you're talking a few percent one way, one way or the other. Like, like an inning where three pitching changes happen and you get nine minutes of stoppage and seven minutes of action. Like that's not like two or three percent in one direction or another. That's like that's like you know, it's like taking one hundred and twenty percent longer <laughs> yep. for the same amount of pitches to happen. Like that's yeah. Well, that's so I, I kind think, of extreme. <laughs> yeah, I think we're in the same place, right? So we love the game and we understand why people are doing what they're doing to win the game, but uh, it, it adds up to some frustration right. for everybody. I think. I so mean, that, look, just talking as a baseball fan, not purely as a producer, like I, you know. I see wacky things out there and some of them get some interest, you know, should it be seven innings? Should it be three balls for a walk and two strikes for a strike? Like you see some two wacky, outs after the sixth inning, out two outs. And there was one out there about how, if you get behind, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, yeah, you this get happens a, and things yeah. like that. So I hesitate on all that stuff. Like to me, <laughs> to me, all that's like, it's a little bit like admitting defeat, you know, like, like the thought, like, Hey, we're going to go to, we'll shorten the game because we can't move them fast enough. It doesn't I really I don't really buy that one. So, you know, to me it's just like I just I just don't believe I went to um I went to a double A game a couple of weeks ago and uh you know, they had a twenty second pitch clock and I don't know, the 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 breaks between innings were, were pretty similar to M L D, maybe twenty seconds shorter. And they you know, I watched I watched a seven five game with a million base runners and, and pitching changes. And they played in two hours and 20 minutes, you know, it was seven, five, I mean, it was 12 runs and like 21 hits or something like that. And, uh, you know, obviously I didn't, I didn't really know all the players as well. So you, you lose some interest in that, in that sense, but from a Christmas and a movement and pace of action to it, like it was, it was great. And I, I just, I don't, I don't think, again, I don't think the answer is to keep the pace the same and have less action. I think the answer is to, is to, I've been, I'm telling you, man, that 22nd pitch clock, you know, you don't know it's there. I mean, you really don't know it's there. I, 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 Maybe the I pitcher agree. knows it's there, but as a fan, you don't know it's there. Yeah. People say that's putting a clock on the game. That's not putting a clock on the game. Putting a clock on the game would be like saying, you know, the game ends at a certain time, not yep. not after 27 outs. You know, yep. that's yep. just moving people along, you know. So yep. anyway, yep. I'm with you. All right. Well, I'll get you hopefully out of here on a, on a higher note than that. So forgetting about ratings and sort of, you know, whatever the dream of a of a one-game wild-card matchup would be. I guess this year it would be Cubs-Cardinals. You at the National League this year. Forgetting about that, because yep. uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that would be a favorite storyline if you could get that game. But uh, aside from just the, the big ratings hits, what what are your favorite baseball storylines, uh, independent of markets and market sizes? What, what are the baseball stories that you get really excited to tell? Well, I love uh... – I mean, I think back of the things like we've done this year, we do a handful of specials usually each year. So like we had whatever, we had Hank Aaron in the booth with us for half a game. I just saw something a little magical about that and how many people just afterwards were like, wow, I've never really heard him or heard him. Like you don't ever hear him just sit down and chat for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so something like that is, is, was, a, was special and, you know, being able to go to Puerto Rico and cover a game there in the aftermath of uh, the hurricane the year right, before right. and so forth was really was really special. Um, and then, I, 
look, all the, I guess I love all the individual stories. Um, you know, I'm a little bit of a Met fan, so despite the eight and nine record, I can, I can always celebrate watching, watching the Grom go 26. I mean, guys had one start all year where he gave up four runs. I mean, he's literally given up three or less runs in all but one start, in which he gave up four runs, you know, to see that, to see that every single start is unbelievable. Um, but other stories, you know, other stories like that, I mean, great young players. I mean, it's a shame that, um, obviously a shame that Otani's not pitching, but it's almost it's still fun, more remarkable. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost more amazing that ever since he, ever since his elbow, uh, and even before a little bit before, before the re-injury, but, but ever since the, the elbow injury, the guy is like barely made an out. And, uh, you know, what a fascinating situation that is uh, so, moving so, forward for them. You know, so I have this question for you, and I, I mean, I, I could have it probably about anybody on the Angels. They, they also happen to have a guy named Mike Trout. I, I just feel like this is one of the, the uh, Otani is one of the most amazing sports stories of the last five years, period. And, uh, and it feels to me like it's, it's not that it's not getting any attention. It's just not getting the attention it would if, uh, if he played for the Yankees it's, and, not even, and not even close. Uh, and I, I'm just wondering, like, this is someone who, who has to, who has to uh, you know, craft all these stories. How, how does that feel for you that, that, that it doesn't get a lot of attention? Well, for us, it's a challenge and an opportunity. And in some ways, it's, it's kind of exciting to know that, you know, he hasn't, when we have a chance to show him, he hasn't been, overexposed and something some of the stuff we do can be relatively fresh and tell the story to a national audience um you know but from the sports standpoint look it's a real challenge that the the sport um is the the passion for the sport is very considerably locally oriented so right uh obviously the yankees transcend that to some to a pretty large degree i think the red sox kind of the season the The red sox are having transcends it certainly the cubs uh have before and and winning they're finally winning the championship in 2016 transcended the local area um you know so our chat but our challenge is really to try to to try to help develop more things that can transcend it but you know it's not easy the the nature the the rhythm of the sport the unending local coverage the quantity of it um, I tell I tell our people this all the time. Like we're in this from a national perspective, we're in the single most competitive landscape of any any sport out there. I mean, uh, on a weeknight telecast on ESPN, you know, there are typically thirty other broadcasts going on, you know, right, on right. that same night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, not only are we coexisting in the markets, or not even broadcast in some cases in the markets of the teams we're showing. But we're also up against, you know, 30 other local broadcasters, yep. 28 out of market, yep. 28 beyond the game we're showing, uh, of which, you know, seven or eight of those games may be happening at the exact same time. Yep. And and just the volume and, and the quantity is, is uh, so just by its nature, it, 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 I think, draws people to sort of their the habit and the local interest of their local team. And, um, you know, it's a very serious and I, it's a very serious challenge. And I think, frankly, the sport, you know, it, it suffers a little bit because, uh, you know, all the all the facts are out there and known about how how baseball players are are perceived on a national exposure level relative to basketball, yes. especially in football and even soccer and other sports like that. And so, 
you know, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy out there. In other words, if it would be great if, uh, you know, Beats and Under Armour and Nike and everybody wanted to go build huge personality driving campaigns around Mike Trout, but that's where the self-fulfilling prophecy is that, you know, the perception is he's not enough, maybe national interest and, and people don't dive in and, you know, like the money that those companies invest in building Steph Curry or LeBron yeah. James, you know, is really valuable for everyone who touches those sports. And, uh, you know, that just, you know, you get a little bit of a Darren Judge or people like that, but just not a, not a whole lot of it for baseball. You know, and I don't, yeah, we, we need more. Like, I don't think it's fair to put the, like the boring, like the Mike Trout's boring thing. I don't think that's fair. There are people in every sport that play yeah. the, you know, play the good, the good soldier, yep. good teammate guy. It doesn't, you know, doesn't make them, doesn't make them uh, less interesting to the fans. You know, there's all kinds of characters. Those who are controversial, those who are, those who are a little more bland, um, but they all they all have interest. To, I just I just think it's a lack of awareness more than a, you know, it's again I, I just think, you know, he's a. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a likable yeah. guy. He's, he's, yeah. he's got a nice family. He's an East Coast guy. He loves the weather. He's got a fun name. You know, there's there's no reason he can't be a superstar. You know, it's just yeah, he's, he's got to come out just, and he's got to he's got to talk smack about a Rod or or nobody's going to pay attention to him. I mean, that's kind of how it seems right now. And uh, I don't, you know, and he doesn't want to talk smack about a Rod or anybody else. Yeah, and I don't blame him. Uh, and so, look, yeah, and he's, a, I mean, again, a lot of it's the market, right? Is he is he is his personality much? different publicly than Jeter's personality was? You know, no, pretty, I don't think similar. so. Yeah, you know? I agree. So obviously, I, look, I mean, of course, Jeter, you know, played on four World Series champions in, in his first six years in the majors, um, five or six years in the majors, and uh, and Trout has not. So that's a big part yeah, of it, they, too. That, but. That, that, that in New York. Okay, well, I know you've got a, uh, you've got a time commitment, so I've got to get you out of here. So who is – what's your pick for who's in the World Series and who wins? Well – in the American League, uh, boy, Boston and Houston is is tough to me. I would have a little bit of allegiance to Alex Cora as a former <laughs> commentator, uh, but I I still I still kind of hold that Houston's uh, pitching in a short series I think is going to be pretty tough. So I guess I would I guess I would stick with a uh, a return for. Uh, for the Astros, for Houston, there and uh, for the National League is uh, National League is anybody's is anybody's. I think it is game right now. I, 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 I there's a part of me that thinks uh, I wouldn't count out Milwaukee. So that's you know a lot of the second best record in the league. I know? got a lot of I got a lot of people from 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 Wisconsin or with some kind of allegiance to Wisconsin on my Twitter feed, and there are a lot of Milwaukee fans. It would be fun to see that. I don't I know mean, Fox would love it. I don't know if Fox would love that. No, but, no, uh, sure that's, that's, sure that's, but, sure but that's, I think for a hardcore baseball fan, Astros, Astros Brewers would be fun. I mean, Brewers, the Brewers mash. They play the game across the board pretty, pretty well. Their starting pitching worries me, but, uh, but um, the bullpen, the bullpen is, is pretty, pretty impressive. And I'll tell you, man, and the short series, Josh Hader. Yep. It would be a weapon. Shut that down. guy. Yeah. Shut it down. <laughs> That guy's that guy's worth two innings without a ball being put in play most of the time. Yeah, it's it's, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Six he outs. Pitched, he pitched three innings in that Cubs series that they just won two out of three, and he struck out nine and three innings. So. <laughs>
That's amazing. I know there are a lot of strikeouts in the game, but that didn't look too boring to me. So. I, I agree. All Phil, right. thanks very much for joining the podcast. It was my pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure, Robert. Take care. Thanks again to ESPN's Phil Orleans for joining the podcast and also to Ad Ages' Anthony Krupe for joining the podcast. And thank you for listening.